Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the History Harbingers podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Pedro, with us to help us talk about the Satsuma Rebellion. If you've seen the movie, The Last Samurai, you'll know exactly what we're on about today. So, Pedro, care to set the scene for us? Yeah, no problem, Theo. So, as Theo just mentioned, uh, the Satsuma Rebellion is... Uh, was one of the uh, most influential, one of the biggest rebellions during the uh, Meiji Restoration, the period in time at the end of the 19th century and beginning of the 20th century in which Japan was attempting to modernize itself. Um, and yeah, like I said, the movie was made on it, Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. Many of you have seen it. It's a great movie. But back to the history. Um, there were various... Uh, rebellions during this time and a lot of them revolved around the fact that it, it was a big conflict between uh the new uh evolving democratic government with emperor meiji at its head that's why it's called the meiji restoration and then also uh various different uh samurai clans uh the one we're talking about today obviously being um uh the satsuma clan now obviously this is this uh in this case samurai were fighting kind of an uphill battle why well uh japan had modernized itself uh had modernized itself a lot uh especially with its law enforcement um for example uh weapons used during this conflict mostly uh from the samurai side were limited to uh katana um wakizashi long bows half bows whatever uh, while the uh, imperial force of Japan itself, the law enforcement, had various different um, firearms at their disposal, such as the Smith & Wesson Model 3, the Winchester Model 1873, uh, the Mauser Model 18, uh, 1871, uh, Gatling Gun, and so on and so forth. So they're really fighting an uphill battle. Uh, Jaime, why don't you continue? Right. I would like to actually challenge one little aspect, and it's that actually right after the opening of Japan, of Japan right, uh, the Tokugawa shogunate, when it was forced to open by the Americans, uh, quite famously using gunboat diplomacy, um, the Shimazu clan, uh, the leaders or the lords of the Satsuma domain, started investing heavily in weaponry. And so while they were not really up to date, they did have uh, large amounts of armament and um arsenals located in uh, Kagoshima, which was the main city uh, of uh, the, um, the Satsuma domain. Now, these weapons, uh, because they had not been funded by the government, but rather had been funded previously by the Shimazu clan, um, they had sort of fallen out of favor with from newer weapons. So they had stuff like Enfield guns, which were a lot less efficient, but they did have uh, considerable ammunition. And while at the end of the, bat the last battle, they famously lacked any firearms because they had lost all of them during the conflict, they did start with not a lot of them, but a, co a, a couple of them because they did have the situation where they did have uh, an armament. I guess it's also worth noting there that in 1874 there was a school established, a private academy, sorry, established in Kagoshima, uh, which provided various types of training, not uh, not only academic, but um, or uh, in academic for the academic side, mostly Chinese classics were taught, um, as in Chinese classic literature like Journey to the West. I'm guessing uh, Sun Tzu's The Art of War uh, played a hand there. Um, but also, as you said, Jaime, uh, there were there was weapons training, tactics instruction. There were artillery schools and so on. Um, so it was more or less kind of a 
It was more or less kind of a paramilitary organization, kind of for tra uh, creating a sort of militia, uh, in my eyes. Uh, Theo, would you agree with what I said right there? Or? In a sense, yes. It's important to also note about the social differences which eventually caused the Satsuma Rebellion to break out. Uh, first and foremost, one of the most obvious social changes that Japan was going through at the time was the fact that samurai no, were no longer receiving a form of social status, where previously they could be likened to things like merchants in medieval Europe, where they were seen as above the commoners, kind of receiving a greater privilege. This was no longer the case in the modernization of Japan. Alongside that, those schools being founded by uh, Saigo Takamori, which did involve military training, this did scare the centralized government of Japan because of the fact that this wasn't the first time that the Satsuma had rebelled, but also the fact that they were very socially different. They spoke a dialect which was different to the rest of Japan. And because of this, there was no way to really directly influence the Satsuma region. So, And it was fairly self-governing for those purposes, which was also kind of building to the tensions which eventually led to the Satsuma rebellion. Now, I'd like to point out some more information about the tensions of the government and what the government did in response to that. Because not only uh, had the Kagoshima, the main city, and uh, the Satsuma um, domain, now Kagoshima Prefecture, not only did it have arsenals and hence weaponry, but while it was officially under uh, the control of the government, the locals did have uh, quite a large uh, role in policing the general area. And when the government feared a rebellion, which Saigo Takamori, most, most information indicates he wasn't actually planning on a rebellion. In fact, earlier when one of his friends rebelled with 200 samurais, he in fact uh, um, failed to join him and refused in, to join him because he did not want to go against the same government he had fought for. Because it is important to remind ourselves that the Satsuma domain was one of the two dom main domains, along with the Chosu domain, that had rebelled against the Tokugawa shogunate in favor of Emperor Meiji. And so this same domain that was now going to um, rebel was a very far south from Tokyo, mostly self-governing, uh, and had a lot of ammunitions. Not only that, but they famously had the best trained samurais in the whole of Japan. And so this all added up to the government reacting in a way they probably shouldn't because there probably wouldn't have been a rebellion unless they had tried to actually sneak and well without telling the local government retrieve all those arms and armaments and ammunition from uh, the local uh, the local arsenal right which sparked well Saigo Takamori wasn't in town in fact sparked sort of like a rebellion in quotation marks of the the local schools where they raided a bunch of government facilities and uh, obtained or at least acquired all the munition and armament that was located in the Satsuma region. Mm. I mean, like uh, what you're saying, Jaime, about like uh, the uh, the discretion that the Japanese government should have had. I mean, yeah, it's one thing for us to be sitting here almost 200 years later talking about that. Actually, more than 200 years later, no, almost 200 years later talking about that, but. Um, it's another thing to actually be the government in that case. I mean, if there is a um, if there is uh, a samurai, uh, samurai clan that wishes to stick to traditional methods, that are setting up uh, uh, schools that are essentially creating a civilian militia or a paramilitary, you know, like basically in your backyard, you're going to act on it. But that's enough on the the whole uh, lead up to the the rebellions. I think we should now transition to one of the most famous uh one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest uh aspects of the of the rebellion being the siege of kumamoto castle now um 
this um this battle was mainly between um well it wasn't mainly between it was between the uh, the main Satsuma army and um the uh, the law enforcement stationed at Komodo Castle, led by Major General Tanitateki, uh, who had um, 3,800 soldiers and 600 policemen in order to defend against, as Jaime stated, one of, uh, prob- one of, if not the best trained samurai in um, the whole of Japan at that time. Now, um, it seemed that the, uh, the tactics taught at this private academy paid off as a pincer movement was... Uh, uh, was used in order to attack the castle and cripple it. Um, Imperial forces uh, decided to fall back, leaving giving the samurai a bit of an edge. And with samurai, you give them an inch, they take a mile, eventually leading to um, uh, uh, Kumamoto Castle being captured by uh, the, Satsuma, uh, the Satsuma samurai clan. Uh, Theo, uh, you got anything else to add? Well, as a part of this, what's important to note is that there was essentially a letter which was given to uh, the Kumamoto government at the time to essentially say that, well, we want your army to join us. Tell them to stand forth in front of the barracks and to be at ease and we'll take their ar- we'll take control of them. But the thing is, this is often conflicted. This is a contested source because of the fact that uh, there's other evidence which suggests that every single time during this conflict that um, Takamori had written a letter, it was almost always peaceful. And in this case, it was essentially provocative. And uh, historians do believe the fact that this may have been written by extremists to provoke confrontations. And even though, independent of what Takamori wrote, during this entire conflict, it had almost always turned violent. And to actually say what sparked this siege here, what's important to note is that the government was still very afraid of Saigo Takamori's hand to stop him from essentially playing his cards or what they would believe he would play his cards. In retrospect, it's fairly easy to see that he wasn't necessarily a violent man. He was more of a traditionalist. So what happened was the central government sent around 50 Tokyo police who spoke the dialect and their mission was to assassinate Takamori in case of rebellion. One of them was policemen was captured, tortured, and then their mission was exposed. And consequently, Takamori was forced into this position of the leader of the rebel army, considering the fact that he was now essentially an enemy of the state, and therefore, uh, therefore, which led to the siege of the castle of Kumamoto. I would like to point out something before we continue, and it is that the forces in Kumamoto Castle, much of the grounds of Kumamoto Castle were taken and uh, controlled by the Satsuma Rebellion, did not in fact falter completely, and uh, at some point, due to overwhelming numbers from the uh, Imperial Army were actually resupplied, and while they held few, little amount of Kumamoto Castle, by the end they did in fact survive the siege to a certain extent, uh, while losing much of the land and uh, failing to control the civilian population. I think it's also important to know which advantages which army had, because while the Satsuma Army had superior morale because they thought their uh, mission was just, and also superior training and um, more information on how to battle. The, in quotation marks, according to the samurai, peasant conscript army of the imperial um, government had uh, not only manpower on their side, which is one of the main factors, but also much more modern weaponry. Don't you think this is important, Pedro? Yeah, I think it I think it is uh, pretty important to remember. I mean, uh, I'd like to just bring it back quickly to uh, the idea that, you know, we are uh, in this case, the battle was between 
um, uh, the occupiers of Kumamoto Castle, you know, holding down the uh, holding down the fort, so to speak, um, while they are against uh, a bunch of samurai. Now, obviously, as we kind of mentioned before, despite the samurai still having some sort, uh, some form of artillery or firearms, they were still mainly using uh, more uh, older weapons in the in the forms of katana, uh, longbow, halfbow, and so on and so forth. But one thing that if we've learned from anything about the samurai, if I've, if I've learned anything about the samurai in terms of battles, is that you never underestimate their their tactics, uh, no matter uh, how many there are. Uh, I like I like comparing this uh, to uh, the Battle of Ichinotani. Now, this is like way before uh, the Satsuma Rebellion, but still, it's one of my favorite. Um, it's one of my favorite battles ever to read. Why? Because it. Uh, well, uh, the battle was led by General Minamoto no Yoshitsune, which is a name many are familiar with, considered to be the greatest samurai who ever lived. But the idea was that he sent most of his force. Uh, yeah, uh, like a, mo uh, a big chunk of his force to attack the front of a uh, defended stronghold, while he led about a hundred horsemen down the side of a mountain in order to jump into the stronghold and burn it from the inside, leaving which essentially ended up as a complete victory for uh, the Minamoto clan. Now, obviously, you know, as I said, this is way before, but I think it's still interesting to see that even if, even against the face of change against the face of their emperor and the government doesn't want them anymore they've been stripped of essentially all their rights all their lordship so on they still have that ability to defeat any enemy as long as they have to or not as long but they have the power to defeat any enemy pretty much as long as uh they are able to strategize properly which they do a lot theo um would you like to give your thoughts on this well as you were saying, yes, you exactly can't underestimate the samurai. But as a part of this, it is still important to note that if the plot of The Last Samurai were to indicate anything, there was the eventual defeat of the samurai in this conflict. It's one of the last conflicts that we can really see where you have like this transition between pre- and post-industrial weaponry as a part of the conflict, which is why I think it's really important to study, just because you have this varying weaponry, and it's still... It's still in part, came down to tactics. The actual education that the soldiers received played a huge aspect of the critical points of this conflict, where you have the Satsuma domain going through with torture tactics to find out information, where that was what sparked the conflict initially, and that gave them the upper hand. It was these tactics that it doesn't matter whether or not you have guns or whether or not you're using swords, it still comes down to the planning, the intelligence, and how quickly you can enact a lot of your military policies. And I think this can still be something that's applied to modern warfare, even though more and more so now we're kind of getting into this era of automated warfare, I want to say. It's tactics just play a huge part of it. Right. I would like to uh, add, add just one thing before uh, continuing. Uh, the tenacity to a certain extent of the samurai, because even after they were defeated through overwhelming numbers and um, over, uh, much better technology, they when they were forced to retreat from Kumamoto Castle and they were forced to retreat back down first to the east and then back down to um, Kagoshima, 
Multiple times they successfully sneaked past the enemy in various different ways which are very interesting because even while encircled by Yamagata's forces, I think Yamagata was the name, if I remember correctly, of the general in charge of the imperial forces at the time. And I think it's very important to know how they would basically find the best place to escape through um, and open the flanks even while at some points they actually had to carry Saigo Takamori because he was suffering through a condition which did not allow him to continuously travel that fast. And it is really interesting to know, even until they were bunkered at Shiroyama Castle, that they had caused such an impression of tenacity and that they could sneak around the enemy army that the, the general of the Imperial Army spent a lot of time making sure, even when they were outnumbering uh, the, for the Satsuma forces, 60 to 1, he still made sure to encircle the whole area, make ditches around the whole of Shiroyama and around Shiroyama Castle, and ensure that they would not be able to escape under any circumstance. Now, Pedro, would you like to take this very famous historical moment, which is the the last moments of um, Saigo Takamori at Chiriyama Castle? Uh, I mean, sure, I'm down. Because, um, I mean, just uh, quickly before I go ahead and do that, um, what you were saying, um, Jaime, about the idea of the tenacity of the samurai. I mean, samurai are basically not, not, not bred, but they're trained to not fear death you know there was the one of my if we just go a little bit off topic in order to the last samurai movie one of my favorite lines there was when tom cruise was explaining how uh general custard in the in the, the civil war led uh, a whole bunch of soldiers to their death because he made a stupid choice and his samurai friend i forget his name said well that is an honorable death that's a good that's a good way to go essentially so that idea that they are not afraid of death and in the end like you said jaime the tenacity not only did it make them over prepare and so uh, even though they were outnumbered 60 to 1 but also it i i'd like to think that it struck fear you know, because if you have such, I mean, the samurai, even if everything was still modernized, uh, even if uh, even if everything was being modernized, the samurai still remain as this symbol. It's even today, the samurai still remain as this one symbol of honor. And the idea that there is a, a man riding towards you on horseback, screaming a battle cry with Oyoroi on while you're mow while you're mowing down a whole bunch of them. I don't know. That just has to strike fear into you. But anyway, sorry, I got a little bit off topic there. Uh, back to what you were saying, Jaime, the death of Saigo um, Takamori. I mean, uh, essentially, there is no actual like definitive way in which we know he died. There's uh, there's no published reports by eyewitnesses, uh, and there are various. Um, there are various different accounts of this. For example, his subordinates, people serving under him, claimed that he stood up and committed seppuku with his um, with his wakizashi. If you, uh, for the viewers at home, if they don't know, seppuku is was the ancient Japanese tradition of killing yourself uh, in order to preserve your honor in battle by stabbing yourself through the stomach with a, uh, with a smaller version of, of a katana. Um, some people also say that he ref he um, requested that his fr uh, his friend Beppu Shinsuke uh, assist in the suicide, um, and there's various other accounts of this, such as he was um, 
shot in the femur. He had his head decapitated deliberately, uh, and so on and so forth. So there's, so what happened really, from what I can, from what I can tell, is um, it's unclear. A lot of the accounts claim uh, that Sepuku, that um, he carried that seppuku on himself, but. To be honest, it still remains a mystery from what I can see. Um, Theo, of all those options that I listed, which do you think is the most probable? I think just the fact that he was aware of the fact that he was the last samurai would have really driven him to engage in a warrior's death and commit seppuku either at the hand of his subordinate or by the hand of himself. I think that seems like the likely explanation. But even regardless of that, any of these explanations would have indicated a warrior's traditional death, which really just hits home the traditional values that he held. And also just looking to the impact of what this conflict had on Japan as a whole, it was the effective ending of the samurai class within society, but economically as well, it actually had some interesting impacts. It forced Japan off of the gold standard into paper currency. That's how much expenditure there was in fighting this war. Accounts say it was roughly 420 million yen, which contemporarily, I believe that number is somewhere within the 8 million 400,000 uh, mark uh, of Great British pounds. But however, it's still an economic impact. I think that's just the important thing about this, where we see how Japan switched to paper currency after that. We see how Japan, this was a modernizing endeavor for them. And that actual effect of going from this backed by traditional currency to we are a independent government we focus on value as an abstract concept rather than a traditional concept not to get too much into the economics of it but even still that's how much of the impact the samurai had on the government which i think is something that's interesting to note i think before we continue on to like the aftermath i would still like to mention one thing we forgot to mention and it is the very famous charge of the last remaining samurais down to their death at the hands of the imperial army as saigo takamori had already uh, died and they basically charged downhill this is one of the most famous scenes if i remember correctly of a movie and one of the most famous uh, famous battles of honor in the whole of history, right? I think this at least needs to be mentioned if we're doing a, a podcast on uh, the Satsuma Rebellion. But I think now we can continue on to the aftermath. What do you say, Pedro? Sure. Uh, I guess we continue on. I mean, if the viewers do want to go research that, that'd be great, because I don't think we can really sum it all up here um, in a short amount of time. But uh, I would also just... Um, uh, like to mention that um, before I go on to the aftermath, uh, what Theo was talking about with the idea of trying to preserve his status as a samurai, um, eventually, um, uh, all accounts essentially, uh, uh, they all, they all kind of, all the accounts say that Saigo's head um, disappeared from his body. And uh, the story goes that uh, it was hidden, and then a government agent found it and reunited it with Sa uh, reunited the head with Saigo's body at his burial, kind of still showing that even if they are modernizing, they still have some of that, um, still have some of that um, that honor, that integrity, that the, the and that respect for the samurai. But anyway, yeah, uh, in terms of the aftermath, I mean, it cost them. 
uh, it cost the government a lot. It cost them approximately 420 million yen, uh, an, an equivalent amount of uh, 8,400,000 uh, pounds. Um, and like Theo said, because of this, it led to Japan getting uh, uh, Japan leaving the gold standard and switching to uh, paper currency. Additionally, um, there was a uh, an economic bill named the Act passed uh, or the Act of February fourth, eighteen seventy seven, which reduced land tax from three percent to two point five percent. Which, I mean, while it not, might while it might not sound like a big number, is pretty significant in the world we see today. Um, I mean, the idea that they reduced this tax after. Um, you know, the samurai, which were essentially claimed to be owners of the land, uh, the last samurai, the last owner of, of land, uh, last lord of the land, essentially died. Their idea, kind of what I was saying about them respecting the samurai and so on, by lowering land tax, um, in my opinion, showed, uh, yeah, like I said, shows the respect and the integrity they still hold against the samurai clan. It also raised their, uh, their national debt from... Uh, 20 million uh, US dollars, uh, 28 million Great British Pounds to 70 million Great British Pounds. Uh, Theo, you're the economics uh, student here. Would you like to put in a word? Now, when it comes to the actual impact of that debt there, I think it's more so a symbolic issue than it is more so an actual economic issue. When it comes to national debt, the actual interpretations of what that number means can vary. But the fact that Japan had to really push their citizens, and not just citizens, their workers, into essentially an overtime. They had to borrow all that money to finance this massive war to essentially push themselves into the new age, I think is one of the biggest symbols of that essentially 50 million or roughly 40 million uh, pound increase in the national debt there. Now, on a final note, it was on the 22nd of February, 1889 when the Emperor Meiji posthumously pardoned Saigo Takamori, which gives us a bittersweet conclusion to our chronicles of the Satsuma Rebellion. And I would like to thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the History Harbingers, and we'll see you in the next one.